0: We're reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 58. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and soared the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore... Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty words? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Betsy. You may take your seats. It's good to be back with you guys. If you're new with us this morning, a warm welcome to you. My name is Steve, and we are walking through the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the life of Jesus, and the theme of Matthew's Gospel is Better Kingdom. If anyone ever asks you, what's the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else? uh, The answer is the Kingdom of God, Uh, something actually that I don't think many people are aware of. For most of my Christian life, I didn't realize this, so he always talks about the Kingdom of God, and... Kelsey and I had lunch with a few friends yesterday, and they shared a few stories that are uh, relevant to this section. So story number one, in the year 2000, there is a young man who graduated from college, and he wanted to get drafted by the NFL. So he enters the draft. He has a subpar combine performance, and as they go through the draft, uh, all NFL teams pass him by six times until he's finally picked up as number one hundred and ninety nine in the seventh round, okay story number two we have a woman who 's age twenty five and at age twenty five she loses her mom and she proceeds to write a children 's fiction narrative while all the while while she 's a single mom and After she finishes the story, she tries to get published and twelve publishing companies pass her by until finally a company named Bloom- Bloomsbury. Picks her up, but not without telling her, hey, by the way, you're never going to make any money writing children's stories. Story number three. You have two brothers, Jim and Tom, and they start a restaurant business together. And before even a year goes by, apparently they get in an argument and allegedly over, should we deliver pizzas or not as part of our business? And Jim decides, he says, I'm done with it. So he gives his half of the company to his brother Tom in exchange for their Volkswagen Beetle that they use to deliver pizzas. Okay. Well, the man who was chosen as number 199th, he was in 199th place, that's Tom Brady. Okay, so the team in Massachusetts that picked him up. He went on to lead them to nine Super Bowls, winning six of them, becoming the greatest NFL quarterback of all time. The young author, as you may have guessed, is J.K. Rowling. She founded one of the most, the highest grossing franchises in human history. And the profits of her books continue to buoy Bloomsburg Publishing's profits every year to this day and jim who sold that business well this was domino's pizza and if he had stuck with it it was sold by tom for a billion dollars it's like i hope i don't think that vw was worth 500 million <laughs> and what's the what's the common thread here you have what is it 31 other nfl teams you have 12 publishing companies you have a pizza dude all with a all with an opportunity a treasure right in front of their eyes that if they had seized it it would have revolutionized their life forever, and they passed it by because of the hiddenness of it. And Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like hidden treasure, is the theme of this section. And we're wrapping up a series of parables that he's giving, and a thread throughout these parables is it's remarkably easy to pass Jesus by. He tells the parable of the soils where three out of the four soils reject Jesus. Jesus. In this section here, we have fish in a net. The net is the church, but then many are cast away at the end, saying many people, even in the church, are going to be separated from God because they end up walking away from Jesus. And then we see Jesus' own neighbors reject him. So the point Jesus is getting at here and that Matthew, his biographer, is getting at is the kingdom of God is hidden treasure. It will change your life, but we pass it by. And so let's look at this section under two headings, keeping it really simple and that's, we've already said it, okay, the kingdom of God is hidden treasure. And point one will be the kingdom of God is hidden treasure, emphasis on hidden. And then point number two is the kingdom of God is hidden treasure, emphasis on treasure. Tracking? Okay. All right, so number one, the kingdom of God is hidden treasure. So why do we tend to pass the kingdom of God by? And I want you to take this seriously. Even if you're a Christian, you're like, I know Jesus, I'm in the kingdom. Even as Christians, we can pass it by. And so so in the first reason why we miss the kingdom is its ordinariness. So note the scene with the treasure in a field here in verse 44 is remarkably mundane. You have this man, he is presumably a field worker. He works in a field every day, and one day he's doing work as normal. And then suddenly he finds unsurpassable wealth. And so he sells all he has to buy the field. In the second parable, you have a rich man, a merchant, and presumably he's in the market as normal. And upon finding something that was worth all of his possessions combined, he sells all he has and purchases it. And then you see Jesus rejected at Nazareth. That's his hometown in verse 53 through 58. And so he he comes back to his town. He does teachings, and the people are amazed, but then they say, wait a minute, isn't this the carpenter's son? Is Is it not his mother called Mary? And it says they took offense at him. Like at a visceral level, they take offense and so they reject him. And as one commentator put it, he says what their problem was is they couldn't penetrate the veil of ordinariness about Jesus. The veil of ordinariness. Meaning, okay, you're claiming to be Israel's long-awaited Messiah and King. You ran through our yards as a five-year-old. Okay, we saw you do stonework and woodwork with your father. Uh, Israel had the equivalent of higher education in this day. It was like, you didn't, go to school. In other words, you're too normal. Okay, you're too ordinary. And a theme we see throughout Jesus's teachings is that both entering the kingdom and experiencing life in the kingdom once you're in goes forward through profoundly ordinary means until we miss it. How so? So first number one, to enter the kingdom looks pretty ordinary. And a story that captures this well is in Second Kings chapter 5. And you have a commander of the Syrian army named Naaman. And he's described as a, as a man of great valor, but he has leprosy. So he hears about this great prophet named Elisha who can heal people. So he travels to Elisha and he brings chests of rich clothing. He brings tons of money. And he brings a letter from from the, from the Syrian king. So basically he brings his CV, and it's a good one. If he were in D.C., he'd be scooped up real quick. So he comes to Elisha and he says, I have leprosy. Here's my CV. And what Elisha says, is like, I don't really care about all your credentials. Just go wash in the Jordan River. And it says Naaman is outraged. And why is he outraged? He's outraged because he's saying, here I am, this, this man of great valor. And you're telling me to, to wash in the Jordan River? Like, any, any peasant can do that. Okay, if you told me, find the infinity stones or go destroy the Death Star, you know, like, yeah, there's a meaty salvation. You know, that, that's worthy of my prowess. But what? Wash in the river? Any, anyone can do that. And that's the point. Okay, God's salvation is is offered to anyone, no matter your credentials. And over the years, as I relay the message, whether it's in preaching or in conversation to people, of the fact that God brings you into his kingdom by grace. Okay, you cannot you cannot credential your way into it. Often what I see and I'm met with is just kind of a shrugging of the shoulders, like, eh, It's too ordinary. It's too easy. And they pass it by. So entering the kingdom, it requires seeing the ordinariness of how God's salvation works. It's by grace. But also, how the kingdom of God goes forward in your life often happens in very ordinary ways. So think about the teachings of Jesus. As you read the teachings of Jesus and then continuing into the New Testament, most of the teachings are not something to the effect of, go out and do great things for God change the world for Jesus. The main thread of life in the kingdom of God is something to the effect of, in the power of the Holy Spirit, grow in being profoundly unselfish in your relationships. Like That's most of the the commands that we get from Jesus and the, the apostles who wrote the New Testament. And so as we think about the kingdom of God moving forward in the ordinary, what this means is once you have the eyes to see, the kingdom of God is less present, you could say, on a mountaintop than it is at a dinner table. The kingdom of God, it's less present when you go to a concert or when you are recognized by the who's who in your field than it is in a quiet moment where you take the initiative to look at someone in the eye and ask for forgiveness. Or to, when you're in conflict with somebody or somebody has has irritated you in some way, rather than to speak or think You know, ill of them, choose to encourage them and see the image of God in them. The kingdom of God, it's less present during a, a flashbang moment of experience of God and more in the slow, ordinary work of daily prayer and scripture reading and putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. And that's the way we grow in feeling the kingdom of God, seeing the kingdom of God. And so my hope for us as a church is for us to be a people who are marked by this kind of quiet, steady joy that can only come from prizing the, the ordinary practices okay, of the kingdom of God. So that, that's the first reason why we tend to miss the kingdom. It's, it's often so ordinary, but yet God does extraordinary things in it when we have the eyes to see. Second reason why we pass by the kingdom, why is it hidden? And it's because while it is ordinary, it is expensive. It's expensive. So go back to these parables of the treasure and the pearl— So the man finds this treasure hidden in a field, and in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. The merchant, upon finding the great pearl or equivalent to a great diamond in our modern day, he sells everything he has to buy it. And this makes sense. If you have $1,000 to your name, and somebody makes you an offer to the effect of, if you give me all of your $1,000, I will give you a billion dollars in return, you take the deal. You give up everything, but you actually give up nothing because you get far more, right? But it does require you give up everything. And Jesus' point here is when you see the inestimable worth of the kingdom, you go all in. And a reason why people don't either enter the kingdom or why so many of us don't experience the joy of the kingdom once we're in is because we, we we like to go halfway in. And so as an example of this, so each week I go with uh, Kelsey and my boys to the training facility. It's a big warehouse that we used to be strength coaches at. And we go there once a week together early in the morning. We all just work out together, and it's a blast. And when we're there, however, the staff is also training, and their interns are with them as well. They cycle through a group of interns a couple times a year. And pretty much every group of interns, I see this phenomenon. There's usually at least one intern— who you could say they're only halfway in. So they they don't want to do the unglamorous work of cleaning the bathroom. They don't want to do the unspectacular work of teaching an 8-year-old how to do a squat pattern. They want to work with the elite athletes who are coming in instead. And because they don't want to do the unglamorous things, okay, they're miserable because they keep thinking about the things that they would rather be doing. The 8-year-old's miserable because they can tell the person coaching them isn't really thrilled to be doing it. The other staff and interns are miserable because now they're having to clean where the intern did, you know, half of the job. But then you see interns who, they're there, and even if part of them doesn't want to be doing the the mundane things, they're all in. And so they they clean the bathroom with gusto. They're laughing with the eight-year-old as they're teaching him or her how to squat. And as a result, they're far happier, right? The eight-year-old's far happier. The staff is is happy. You get it? And so often in your life— It's helpful to ask, could the reason maybe that I don't have more of a lightness of step about me or maybe why I tend to grumble more or feel discontent is because I'm not going all in to the kingdom of God, right? I'm always thinking about, okay, what else would I rather be doing? But when you go all in, it's not just that you will grow in joy, but those in your immediate relationships will too because Jesus' commands always lead you out of unselfishness and into love. So for you, maybe going all-in means you're in a season of doubt, and God is asking you to, as you come to him with questions, to stop coming to him to questions assuming you have the answers, but instead to come to him with questions assuming he has the answers. It will feel expensive to do. Maybe you're married, and God is asking you either with your spouse or your children to enter into that person's life with affection and warmth rather than detachment or anger. Maybe you're in a discipleship group or just another group, and your tendency when you get together is to grumble about the people in your life or how hard a situation is. And maybe going all in means asking, well, first praising God for the, the preciousness that the gospel is in your life, and then spending maybe more time in prayer than you typically do, asking by the power of the Spirit to be the presence of Jesus in those difficult relationships. Maybe God feels distant, and going all in means actually doing the slow work of forming a togetherness with God through daily prayer, scripture reading, and putting the teachings of command— of putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. Okay, when you go all in with the kingdom, you experience more joy. The best thing you can do— for yourself and for other people in your life, is to obey. Okay, so that, that's number two. Why do we miss the kingdom, either entering it or get the joy of it, is we're half in, half out. Okay, we, We're we not willing to give up. We're not willing to pay the cost, but then to get everything in return. Okay, So th- these are two ways why the kingdom of God is it's such a treasure, but it's hidden. We miss it. So now let's look at, okay, if it is such a treasure— why is it a treasure? Okay, how can we see it as a tre- How can we be willing to prize the ordinary, to, to be willing to give up everything so that we get everything in return? And I think three of the most important words in these parables with the, the pearl and the buried treasure is in the back half of verse 44. And it's then, in, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And you see, uh, when the man finds the treasure, he doesn't hem hemhaul over the pros and cons of, oh, should I do this or not? He's not in anguish over what he has to give up. No, upon finding the treasure, everything he has becomes inconsequential. And he runs home and in joy of anticipation sells everything he has to get it. And this is what's unique about the kingdom of God is jo- only in the kingdom of God, joy is our primary motivator. And so, how can, we see, how can we see the value of the kingdom, the inestimable worth of the kingdom, in order to start to grow in this kind of joy that Jesus is painting that we have? And hopefully you're already even beginning to see as we think about, right, prizing the ordinary and, and the expensive nature in the kingdom, but let's, let's keep going. And we could be here all day, but let, let's start here. One is, in order to see the worth of the kingdom, think about the trajectory of the kingdom. Meaning, where is God taking us where is he taking me and you if you're in the kingdom of god and there's a sri lankan theologian his name is Vinath ramachandra and he he's written a number of books but in a a short little book he talks about and he's studied a lot of he's studied a lot of the world's major major and minor religions and he says that a uniqueness of where god is taking the world is when you look at other systems of thought what you always see it's a liberation from Ordinary humanness, okay. He says all of the religions offer salvation as liberation from ordinary humanness, but the promise you're you're given in the gospel, okay, is not release or 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 liberation from the shackles of humanness, but it's the the redemption of it. And think about even some thoughts in Western secularism. So even you see movements that used to be fringe and are now growing in Western secular thought in terms of trying to liberate us from our ordinary humanness. So one, transhumanism, maybe you're familiar with it, but it's this idea that through nanotechnology and genetic engineering and virtual reality, we can achieve nirvana because we escape the confines of our physical body. And here's what Ramachandra says. He talks about these other systems of thought compared to how the kingdom of God works. He says... Biblical salvation lies not in escape from this world, but in the transformation of it. You will not find hope for this world in any other system. The biblical vision is unique. So, while every other system says nirvana comes through release right from ordinary human life, biblical salvation is the redemption of it. So, now go back and when you look at the teachings of Jesus, you'll notice they have an earthy quality to them. So he uses language like, we'll recline at table together in the kingdom of God. We saw a couple months ago that his miracles, right, point to the new earth he's bringing about where there, people aren't sick again or blind again or paralyzed again or lonely again. Okay, Jesus takes on a, a body. His resurrection is physical, giving dignity to our bodies, but also it's promising what our bodies will be in the new earth. Jesus has a body now. It's a picture of what our redeemed bodies will look like. You have places like Romans 8 that talk about creation being liberated from decay and our bodies being liberated from decay as well. You have places like Revelation 21 talking about us not floating to heaven, but heaven coming down to earth, God dwelling with us, making the world come alive in splendor. And so you have to ask, is the consummation of ordinary human life a treasure? Yes, it is. And I'm trying to capture this, but maybe one way to go about it is think about some of your, just something as simple as think about your best memories. And here's some of mine. Maybe you'll think I'm weird, but here's some of mine. When I was 19 years old, it was a Christmas Eve. And we had many painful Christmases in our home, but this was one of those Christmases where it was Christmas Eve, as you know it was always meant to be. You know, it's chilly outside. There's a roaring fire in the wood stove. We're eating way too many gingerbread men. You're just, all the siblings, the parents, we're all clicking with one another. I'll never forget it. Another is a surprise snow day my junior year in college. I lived with three dear friends. Suddenly snow comes down, school's canceled. We keep our PJs on, we make pancakes, we play video games all day. And it seemed like every minute we were just howling on the floor in laughter, saying ridiculous things. I think about mowing my neighbor's yards as a high school teenager. And after, in the heat of summer, mowing the yard, sitting on their back porch, they give me a glass of lemonade. I'm just sitting there and I'm basking as I see the sun hit those those lines. You know, those lines the lawnmower makes in the grass. <laughs> I think about my sons going to their grandfather's house and laughing in surprise as they throw bird seed and see, you know, 10 different species of birds swoop down and gobble it up. And why why are these moments so poignantly satisfying? It's because it's what we're made for. Where where Jesus is taking you, if you're with him in his kingdom, where Jesus is taking the earth is your feet on the ground and food and music and sitting around the fire and sea and sky and relationships, but perfected. (laughs) And so it, Is this ordinary life being consummated a treasure worth going all in for? Yes, it is. And here's how Veneth concludes in this section in his book. He says, When people ask me about salvation in other systems, I ask, What salvation are we talking about? Not this kind. No other salvation holds out this kind of promise for the ordinary world than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus do. Amen. Amen. And when you partake in the quiet, ordinary acts of unselfishness that we were talking about earlier, you also open a window into this kind of world that Jesus Christ is bringing about. So that's the first thing. Do you, do you see the treasure of it? Okay. Ordinary human life, as it was always meant to be, the perfection of it. Number two, what treasure do we see in the kingdom of God? So first is the trajectory of it. Number two is the love in the kingdom. Notice what Jesus does here in these parables. Verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And then he makes a subtle but important change in verse 45. He doesn't Notice he doesn't say, The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value. No, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a rich man. The kingdom of heaven is like a rich man who, upon leaving his home finds that thing that was of inestimable worth to him. And upon finding it, everything he had became inconsequential, and he sold all that he had to get that pearl. And don't you see? The reason why ordinary human life is ever miserable is because it's when you don't have love. And the reason that makes ordinary life so poignantly satisfying when you have it is love. And Jesus is standing here saying, I am the rich man. I own all the diamonds underneath the earth and all the stars swirling in the sky. And upon seeing you and knowing you and knowing you are of inestimable worth to me, He couldn't sell his things fast enough. And he wraps himself in the vulnerability of your humanity and your tragic history and your unmet longings. And he goes to a cross taking, swallowing all of the despair and darkness for sin in your place before rising again from the dead so that you can eat and walk and listen to music with him in the kingdom of God. The treasure of the kingdom is the the love of God is given to you and made known to you in the face of Jesus Christ. And the best way that you can see Christ in his kingdom of unsurpassed value is to see that you are of unsurpassed value to him. It's what you're made for. Do you see the hiddenness of it? Do you see its treasure? sell everything, and go get it. Let's pray.